Life's aches and pains, we all experience them. So I'm excited that Plus CBD Relief is backed by popular demand. As you know, I'm a big proponent of CBD to tonify the endocannabinoid system, a real breakthrough in herbal products. The CBD brand I take personally and recommend to my patients is Plus CBD from CV Sciences. Plus CBD's Relief line of soft gels is the ideal way to help promote a healthy inflammatory response. Plus CBD Relief is doctor-formulated with recovery-supporting ingredients, including CBD, CBD, A and Levagen PEA, which has been found in clinical trials to relieve severe headache faster than ibuprofen. Relief soft gels help address minor everyday soreness, support joint function, and encourage recovery following strenuous activity. All Plus CBD products are backed by science with clinically researched active ingredients. To learn more and to order, visit pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman and use coupon code Hoffman30 for 30% off. That's pluscbdoil.com slash Hoffman for Plus CBD's Relief Soft Gels. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. And a little background on today's podcast, because, uh, you know, we often talk about uh, the agricultural uh, revolution and how uh, by use of uh, chemicals and uh, modern uh, fertilizers and pesticides and uh, GMO crops, uh, we're increasing the productivity of uh, agriculture. And lately, there's also been a call for uh, reducing uh, the amount of uh, animal uh, livestock uh, to, in effect, save the planet because of the carbon footprint, the high carbon footprint of uh, raising uh, livestock, uh, cattle, and so on. Uh, you know, a lot of methane emanations uh, from animals, and therefore we should go to more of a, a vegan or vegetarian diet. Uh, but a lot of people are talking up a concept called regenerative agriculture. And uh, some skeptics say, no, regenerative agriculture uh, doesn't have the capacity uh, to feed uh, the uh, 10 or 12 or 15 billion future inhabitants of the planet. Uh, But today we're going to talk to an expert on that subject. Uh, We'll also uh, talk a little bit about the distinction between regenerative agriculture and organic uh, our guest is uh, Dr. Anand Swaroop. He's a PhD, a biochemist. He's founder and president of the evidence-based nutritional ingredient supplier, Cefam. We'll talk a little bit about uh, how he sources nutritional ingredients. Uh, and he's co-founder of Nutrify Today. He's got a Master of Science degree in biochemistry and a doctorate in chemistry from the University of Allahabad, one of India's most prestigious universities. And he also uh, is a fellow of the American College of Nutrition, uh, a member of the American Nutrition Association, as am I. And um, we're going to talk regenerative agriculture. So, Dr. Swarup, welcome to Intelligent Medicine. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. Great talking to you today. Indeed. Mm -hmm. And so uh, give us a little background on how you uh, personally connect to the notion of uh, regenerative agriculture, because actually this is this is actually a very traditional notion. It's not a novel idea. It's actually uh, for centuries and perhaps millennia. Uh, farmers practiced regenerative agriculture. It's only with uh, modern mechanized, uh, industrialized agricultural production that that's fallen by the wayside, right? 
Absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, I came from a family of farmers. Uh, we, for generation, my family was involved in farming. We were living in villages and, and you know, away from urban societies, uh, literally growing our own food and eating and being very sustainable uh, on that part. Uh, at the time of, um, uh, I was I was born and brought up in India. Uh, my grandpa, who was um, a farmer, uh, finally decided to leave the village and move to a bigger city uh, to work for British in 1930. Uh, and... Uh, he left the traditional farming and then came to work for an uh, employer. Uh, again, in the fa- same field of farming, he was overlooking the farms where they were growing sugarcane uh, to make uh, the sugarcane uh, you know, sugar uh, for Southeast Asia. Uh, I grew up in that town where, uh, you know, I was born in that town, which was a factory town, uh, surrounded by a lot of fields. Uh, the main crops were sugarcane, rice, and wheat. Uh, depending on different seasons, they were growing different things, uh, and factories were running all year around. And what I have seen that the factory decided to actually go for sugarcane farming only, and and they got away with all the other crops, and then they saw a decline in the yield, or you know year over year, and then the yeah, the output started going down and there was a time when the factory was almost 20% of its original capacity. And I was, you know, I was small, I was growing up and, and I was talking to my grandpa and we didn't know about these words, uh, you know, regenerative agriculture or, you know, how how things are happening at on a larger scale. But what he was saying that we are overusing, you're overusing the land for growing just one crop and that's why you see the decline. That's so-called monoculture. Is the term is monoculture, and actually, that's the pattern of modern industrialized agriculture these days. Because we see these vast cornfields in uh, you know the Midwest, uh, and uh, you know for the sake of efficiency, you know that's the idea. Mm -hmm. Huge uh, agribusiness uh, conglomerates. Absolutely, and I think you know when when I started reading about it, um, uh, you know, and, and learning more. It was required at certain stage in our, our, you know, our development as a society so that we wanted to have uh, a lot of production uh, out uh, out of the le- land limited uh, available to us to to reach a level of sustainability in the food. But as you see, the population of the world is growing so fast. I mean, we just eight billion now. And how are we going to feed this population? I mean, this this is not just a problem for us here in the United States. It's a global issue. How are we going to feed this entire population by doing a farming in a way to feed everybody and, and, and bring food to every table? So two ways possible. Uh, we can, you know, start increasing our land that, you know, whatever land we're not using to, to, to farm, we just start using that uh, to farm or the other way to increase the productivity uh, of the land which we have and to increase the productivity of the land which we have we can use chemicals pesticides and other other agents or we go can go to the old traditional ways of farming and that's where regenerative agriculture come to to play so let, let's define some terms because I think there's some confusion between organic uh, and regenerative. You know, we, we, we go to the store and we, we search out organic products because we believe that they're cleaner, they're less adulterated. Uh, so you write in a recent article that there is a distinction between those two terms. 
Yeah. So if you look at, you know, on the bigger picture, they both are looking for the same outcome. They want to have clean food, which is grown uh, in, in, in a natural way, not using too many pesticides or chemicals or harmful things. And, and to eat something which is good and full of nutrients. But on the one hand, regenerative agriculture is looking at increasing biodiversity, enriching soil, improve watershed, enhance ecosystem services. On the other hand, agriculture, which is organic, is looking for the good quality of the product, but they're not concerned about the ecological outcome. Can there be both? So can, it be both can it be both organic and regenerative? Uh, I don't think Absolutely. those terms are mutually exclusive. You can have uh, attention to the quality of the foods, you know, making them unadulterated, but at the same time pay attention to uh, considerations to maintain biodiversity and soil quality and, and so on. Absolutely. So, so they both are not, uh, you know, they, they can be done together. And that, that's where the idea of, you know, talking about it, you know, just increasing more awareness about it, that uh, regenerative and organic, they both are the same, uh, but only thing is regenerative looking for ecological long-term output. And then that's, that's, that's the key factor here, that we are trying to use our land in a way to be productive for many years to come. And, and of course, there's a lot of concern about, uh, you know, climate change and the effects of uh, agriculture on climate change. And it's thought that, you know, if we raise, uh, you know, cows and pigs uh, and uh, animals on, on land, uh, that that's high on the food chain, that there's a lot of uh, there, there's a lot of carbon release, that that's contributing to uh, global warming. Uh, but regenerative agriculture uh, makes the claim that uh, it actually uh, helps with carbon capture and helps to reduce uh, susceptibility to climate change. So how can that be possible? Yeah. So basically, the, the idea of regenerative is to store as much as carbon possible in the soil, what we call a carbon sequestering. So it's uh, the idea is that Everything is coming out of your organic biomass, uh, which is coming from land. Uh, plant grows out of the land. It just takes air and water from environment. And the power of the land, the soil, is everything which you get out. The biomass which we are eating as a food or we are feeding to our animals and then, then eating uh, that as a food ultimately belongs to the carbon quality which is sitting in your soil. So idea is to bring back as much carbon as possible. This could be done in a way of to reduce our emissions outside. We can, we can have more animal waste going back to the, to the soil. We can have, uh, different ways to bring back that carbon. Let your biological mass, which we are kind of cutting and cleaning the land, let it rot. Let it just basically go back to soil and convert to organic matter, which will come back as a food. And of course, you know, in traditional uh, Indian uh, agriculture, uh, they had, you know, the term the sacred cow, you know, the cows that were not consumed, but the cows that sort of coexisted, but were part of the uh, ecosystem uh, and an integral part of the ecosystem because uh, they ate the grass and returned uh, your rich nutrients to the soil. Yeah, and you know, and this I'm seeing in more traditional societies. We have a manufacturing operation in Uganda, and uh, we are very close to Lake Victoria, where we have a dairy processing plant. 
and none of the cows are actually uh, ranched over there. People have small holdings, uh, seven or eight cows uh, per family, and they are leaving uh, their houses in the morning. They are literally on their own. They go out in pastures. They come back in the evening. Morning, uh, the farmers get up. They, they get the milk out of the cows, which they bring it back to our factory for processing. And we are seeing the quality of that milk is way better than what we are getting in India. Mm-hmm. So, so, in it, other words, it, not the industrial, I mean, now, you know, it's all about industrialized mm-hmm. feeds, feeds that are That's grown, correct. you know, far away, sometimes transported long distances, then brought into, mm-hmm. you know, there's almost like computerized facilities that actually determine when the animals are ready for milking. You know, you know, you know yeah. to, being a farmer these days doesn't involve, you know, sitting with a, a pail and, you know, squeezing the udder of the cows. It's all done, uh, you know, uh, mechanically. Uh, mechanically, yeah. But uh, there may be some wisdom to the way that things were done uh, traditionally. Yeah, and, you know, if you see, uh, you know, I always look at, you know, the human history. If, if you see, humans are not the most strongest animals on this earth. Uh, we are physically weak compared to other strong animals out, you know, living in wild. But how, what we have, we must have done something right uh, over the evolution where we become apex predators. And this, you know, from... From nothingness, from from age of dinosaurs to become apex predators, we have what we have done that we have learned from our environment. We have learned what to eat, when to sleep, how to rest, how to use our soil around us, and that what really made us grow to the top of the, of the chain. So mm-hmm. traditional knowledge have definitely uh, you know something out there, and we just need to dig the data and, and, and figure out that what really worked and what we can learn and use from the old ways in a new technique. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not against the new technology. Technology is really great. It's, it's, it's a part of our, our, our evolution. So learn from the past, see the data points, what, what we have seen in the past, and use the new technologies to really be, you know, implement it. And what do you say to the critics? And I've, I've, I've looked at, at op-eds uh, by many critics of, so-called uh, regenerative or sustainable uh, agriculture, that, that it's just not uh, cost-efficient and that it can't, you know, rise to the challenge of feeding the world's growing population. Do you think that it can be scaled to uh, make it feasible and workable in a modern context? Absolutely. Yeah, so the whole idea about regenerative, that it is possible to use this technology to scale it up to massive levels. Hmm. You, you see that, that the number of, of mechanized farms and, you know, compare that with, with number of, you know, traditional farms. Traditional farms are still much more high than, than mechanized farms. Mechanized farms are small. I mean, compared to number of, of people who are doing the traditional farming. You cannot convert everybody uh, to traditional farm, farming overnight. You, you have to wait and basically, you know, see that how these people are doing uh, the farming, small and marginal farmers, how they're using the land. And if they keep on mimicking the large farms of, of using excessive chemicals and pesticides, we are not going to reach the skills. So traditional ways which they, they you know, which can be used, which are more adapt to, to small farmers, are still better way to scale it up. 
It seems that these days, uh, you know, some of the agribusiness companies and chemical companies have a sort of a vertical monopoly because on the one hand, they sell the seeds to the farmers and the seeds are specifically adapted to be GMO uh, so that they're resistant to the pesticides that they sell to the farmers. And the farmers kind of get caught up in a vicious cycle. They say, you know, we'd like to try some of the sustainable stuff, but, you know, we're hooked. We're hooked on... GMO crops, and we're hooked on the pesticides mm-hmm. that keep the weeds away, and the pesticides that keep the bugs away, and you know there's less mm-hmm. biodiversity because there's only a few patented GMO crops now. So how do you break out of that vicious cycle? That's the challenge. It's it's a, it's a huge challenge, and, and that's that's where uh, you know traditional um, because most of the farmers which are small and, and spread around the world they are actually are connected to the soil and then uh, what i've seen that they can read the signs they, it, it's not very visible out there it's not very well documented but these people have this traditional knowledge and they can read the soil they can read the seeds and they know what they're doing is not sustainable on the long term if they have been given a chance and and the chance will come only from the, the consumer once we are aware that a regenerative crop is actually better than than just being purely organic or being produced in hydroponic or different ways. Uh, once we drive this demand that if I have a, a chance to buy, say, lettuce, and it's done regenerative, I'll be putting my dollars there. Mm-hmm. That will be the biggest push for everybody to start moving towards that. I think farmers are just trying to make a simple living. Yeah. By whatever means. As, as long as, yeah, yeah. And so as long as, you know, the consumers are driving the train. And once consumers are driving the train because they learn, they know. And, and most of the people I've seen or, you know, I met during my travels to the world, they want to do the right thing. It, sometimes, you know, the, the knowledge is not there or it's being put out in such a tough words that it's impossible for them to understand. Indeed. Well, so... I, you know, when I go to the store, I can see a label that says organic and that, you know, guarantees that the product is, you know, less chemicalized and so on uh, and not mm-hmm. GMO. But it doesn't tell me whether they were grown on a, in a regenerative uh, fashion. So how can consumers mm-hmm. vote with their dollars to support regenerative agriculture? I think it's just, it's. it's Spreading pretty fast, you know. Uh, thank God, you know, we are living in a in a in a in an age of social media and, and and all this information overload. It's very easy to to actually spread the word. Uh, it you know you can use the way we are talking today on, on this blog uh, or, or podcast. Uh, uh, you know, I, I write a lot to to really let it go uh, to the normal public, and um, and we can try to you know all we can do that we can break it down to simpler terms. Break it down to the, the, the terms where people can understand. Carbon sequestering is not something, uh, you know, a normal folk which is walking in the superstore will be interested in that. It's too right. hard. Yeah. But then if we tell them that what we're eating is coming out of soil and if we enrich the soil, it's good for all of us, for generations to come. So if we break it down and we spread the, the word out there, uh, once people get used to it, they will do the right thing. That's that's a, you're an optimistic uh, prognosis for for regenerative agriculture. Uh, let's talk a little bit about soil quality because there's this notion that uh, you know we're in effect uh, killing off the soil, and when we kill off the soil, it may be that we can grow crops, we may have productivity, but the quality 
of the food declines. It may not have adequate levels of micronutrients. Uh, mm -hmm. And that could be uh, you're undermining our health. Yeah. And, you know, just one part is a nutrient rich. One part is taste. Uh, you know, I remember eating tomatoes when I was growing up. I never found the same taste ever again. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. And, and I think it's all depends on, again, the kind of soil that time was there and what happened to it in the last 50 years. Yeah, I mean, so I, I, I think the taste about, yeah. in nature is a signature of the presence of yeah. beneficial polyphenols and, uh, you know, Absolutely. nutritious substances. And when something mm -hmm. is tasteless but has a great shelf life, you know, looks great, uh, can stay on the yeah. shelf for weeks and weeks, uh, that's not necessarily mm -hmm. commensurate with the nutritional quality. Absolutely, and, and we, we, are live, we are dealing with, with living, uh, living things. Plants are living things. What they do, they they have absolutely good adaptive capabilities. If you feed them uh, lead, you know something like a pesticide, which is very high in lead, what they will do, they will develop a different kind of chemicals to basically you know counter it, and that chemical will not be tasting the same, which was the original taste out there. So if you spray a plant, you know, apple with, with a lot of herbicides, what we'll do, we'll change its character altogether. It will not be having apple polyphenols. We'll have something else. It will have flavonoids in there. So what plants will do, they adapt to the environment around them. And, and in, in turn, what happens? It looks nice, beautiful, very juicy from outside and full of water. No taste. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to find a tasty tomato these days. It's a real dilemma. But uh, yeah. hopefully the answer is uh, organic and regenerative uh, agriculture to uh, at least uh, restore benefits to our taste buds. Uh, do you know if any restaurateurs uh, are embracing this? Because that would drive it even faster than individual consumers, you know, filling up their shopping carts. Are there restaurants that source from regenerative farms or even restaurant chains that are attuned to this these days? I think so, because, you know, if, if I get a chance to, to if I go to uh, somewhere to eat and, and I see these words, say, farm to, to table, yeah. I'm immediately, you know, kind of attracted to that. This is interesting. Farm to table, this means this plant or this, this product has been not been through a cold chain. This means it's fresh. So my, you know, and I think most of us share the same, same kind of sentiment. You see farm to table, that's nice. That's good. Eating local. And it is, it, all these things are, are gaining ground. Eating local, farm to table, uh, you know, organic. And then slowly, I think in the same series, regenerative will also grow once people really get to, to understand that, you know, what's behind it. What we're trying to do is to grow tasty food, and keep on growing this for the next 50 to 100 to 200 years. Indeed, you're making it a sustainable process that doesn't damage the environment. Okay, great stuff. Uh, just mention, is there a, a website where people can learn more about regenerative agriculture or the work that you do? There, 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 are, uh, and there are many uh, ways to, to learn about us. We, we, we have um, something called a Cefam Sense. What we do that, uh, what we learn, uh, you know, besides the, the business and, you know, uh, promoting our own product, once we learn this, this, this type of knowledge, uh, these type of, of things which are happening, which is going to affect our business, our lives, our food, uh, we share these, these things in a, in a form of either video or a blog post is on, uh, my website, uh, cefam.com. C-E-P-H-A-M. 
C-E-P-H-A-M.com. Okay, great. All right, what, we're going to pause then, now. Because... Uh, they can go and check for it. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, what were you going to say? Yeah, they, they can go and check. There's a tab called Cephem Sense. And there's a lot of information like this we keep on sharing out there that what's going on and what we learned this week or this month, which, you know, we would love to share with people is, is, uh, conventional knowledge out there, uh, and it makes sense for everybody. Okay, great. Uh, we're going to pause now. And then, uh, in part two, folks, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, some of the challenges that, uh, the nutritional supplement industry is experiencing these days in terms of sourcing products. Because, uh, in addition to being an expert on regenerative agriculture, uh, Dr. Swarup is also founder and president of a nutritional ingredient supplier, CEFM, the self same place where we talked about the website. Uh, C-E-P-H-A-M. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, uh, the way that we can find new and novel, safe and effective natural ingredients. And uh, what's going on with the supply chain? Some products seem to be in short supply these days. Also, toxicity and safety of uh, natural ingredients that go into the supplements you take. Or Our expert will weigh in. When we return, I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.